Do you believe in love at first sight? Or should I walk by again? No? Okay, yeah, I'm just going to reload my save on that one. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we're talking about romance in video games. The times it's swept us off our feet and the times it's left us cold. Love is no game, but games still do keep trying. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello. Hello. Hi. It's How are you guys? Again. Back. Good to see you both, as always. It is nice to see you both. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm like, I was looking it's forward to this treat. week's episode for whatever reason. Yeah, for whatever <laughs> reason. Because yeah, you're always who knows why? I mean, I'm always looking forward to it, but it, but it's just nice. It's 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 extra nice. It's because today we're talking about romance, and the three of us have our own kind of romance. The podcast yes. romance. The oh, I thought you meant our respective significant others. But no, no, well, that I mean too. the three of us. I mean the triple click. Yeah, no, you romance, mean the bond the, that we all share that we power up every time we record. We're Exactly. The triangle romance. The triangle strategy romance. You know, it's too bad that bromance is gendered because bromance is a great term. What is it? Is there like a... There's no platonic... No, platonmance. Does it have the same ring to it? Not good at all. Did you two know that we're a listener-supported show? And that's the reason why we don't have any ads? I didn't know I didn't know if you two knew that. What? I... Sure, I thought I was adding ads to every episode. And, I don't know if you guys know this, but we've recorded nearly uh, more than 140 episodes of the show. And if I didn't know that by now, mm. I feel like my brain would probably be broken, more broken than yeah. it already is. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we all have pretty bad memories, so maybe just week that's to week, true. we it's pretty well established. That it's listener show. supported. That's this is well, why, that's we, why we, we repeat this up. every yeah, week. Yeah, because we feel for We think it's the first time remember. we're telling you about it each time. Yeah, yeah. And it's also the first time we're telling each other about it because every week is completely new for us the eternal sunshine of the triple click mind (laughs) yeah so anyway if you if you want to support the show you could become a member of the maximum fun network by going to maximumfun.org slash join and being a supporter of ours or any other show on the network if if you wish but uh if you do that you get access to our bonus feed which has a monthly bonus episode from us and uh we'll have one this month i don't think we've decided what it's about oh no wait we have what am i saying we have we know what it's going to be well talk about forgetting we were just things. talking about this. talking about no memory <laughs> we, were doing, we know exactly what it's going to be where am i right now okay we're doing one on the ones more thing of 2022 for each of us yes. so we're, we're each picking a movie a tv show an album a book who can even remember it all? We're, mm-hmm. we're picking those mm-hmm. and we're talking about them. And uh, that's our bonus app. But we have one every single month and we've got a big backlog of them. So I don't know. I If I were a listener, I would go to MaximumFun.org slash join and I would become a member. And you know what else I would do? Mm-hmm. I would get out my calendar or, you know, open it up if it's digital. And I would scroll on down to May 18th because we are having a live triple click show that night at the Bell House. In Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, New York, New York. I'm mm-hmm. going there, not from there. <laughs> I'm going to physically <laughs> go there and and appear next to the two of you. And let's say you didn't want to go to New York for whatever reason, but you did want to see us live. There's also digital tickets. You could watch us on a live stream. 
So we'll have cool. a link. We just opened those up. Yeah. So if you if you have FOMO, if you're like, man, I wish I could go to Triple Click Live, but I cannot make it to New York, mm-hmm. now is your chance. Link is in the show notes. It's the same link as where you get the physical tickets. Basically, you click get tickets in the right side, on the right side of the Eventbrite link, and you will see options for both physical and live stream tickets. So mm-hmm. if you want to watch the show, but you do not want to go, no, you you can totally do that. So we're very happy to be able to open it up mm-hmm. to everyone. Which is cool. So you can be part of the live event experience. I, I believe yes. there's a chat. So you can type poggers or whatever during the show. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we'll see and I'm it. Sure that's what people will do. <laughs> we're going to wind up doing like an audience Q&A. And yeah, I'm sure totally. We'll, so you we'll can contribute that out. way. And uh, we'll also release a regular episode in the feed. But hey, nothing like seeing it live, right? That's always that's fun. true. Getting the visual, the accompanying visual, mm-hmm. so you can see all of our faces that we get to see every every week, but none of you get to see. And the ability to type or shout poggers during the show. Very important. That is very important. <laughs> I also imagine there will be like when when we edit it, I imagine there will be parts that aren't like right. Don't make it. We're going to edit the, out the controversial flubs. stage crasher exactly. and like so our, much other crazy stuff. That's all the happen. awful things we say on stage. <laughs> All right. And with that, let's get to this topic. Just an, just another easy one this week. <laughs> After running comedy, I thought to myself, what could be easier than that? Let's talk about romance mm-hmm. in video games. We really are kind of covering all the all the big <laughs> all the big ones. Yeah, Laughing. We've already loving. done horror. Yeah, it's good. It's twenty twenty three. We're getting ambitious. Mm-hmm. We're talking talking sweeping tops. So because we have to do violence in games next. Right. Ooh. Ooh. Let's get idea. Jack Thompson in here. Let's get Sadness the ESRB. Games. We're just gonna do uh-huh, all the big uh-huh, feelings. Uh-huh. But today it's time for some loving. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's time for some sweet, sweet loving. So what are you two's first memories of romance in a game or formative memories? Uh, <laughs> like the first <laughs> oh, time man, you remember having to choose one. Jason, you clearly have an example, so go ahead. Well, my answer is less romance and more sex. Because when I was a young, like, uh, prepubescent boy, I was probably like 10 nine or ten or something i played this text game called leather goddesses of phobos and it's like uh uh, this infocom game that is like r-rated uh like (laughs) very sexually explicit and that was definitely one of my first exposures to anything having to do with sex and i was like what is this whoa Mm -hmm. this is (laughs) and it was really educational and that's where you learned everything you know today yes i learned about the leather goddesses of phobos um Mm -hmm. sure but uh, but actually, in general, I, I feel like romance in games has been disappointing to me. And I'm, a, I'm the type of person who's a sucker for like a really amazing romance story. Um, your leftovers, your better call Sauls of the mm-hmm. world, especially TV romances. Um, love them. Kim and Jimmy can't get enough of it. But like in games, for whatever reason, maybe because usually it's the player character rather than two fleshed out people. Um, I just have never been able to connect. And I've just never had any interest in like dating um, despite joking around a lot about like oh man Mitsuro is so hot I've never actually had any interest in dating or like romancing um, digital characters so yeah what about you two I mean I thought you were gonna say Final Fantasy 7 Jason I'm not gonna let you off the hook just yet you yeah had the, to date, the date with the date with uh well you don't actually <laughs> get to choose in the original you kind of like the game picks points for you and then eventually you go on a date with either Aris or Tifa or Yuffie or if you're really lucky Barrett yes um in the golden saucer <laughs> and, and but you don't actually get to choose you don't like pick who you date mm-hmm. or you don't know you're choosing I guess we should right. say it's kind of yeah it's like a secret point system that goes on under the hood of the game. 
Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, was something that everyone I know was deeply invested in. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Kirk, how it about you? I've definitely cooled on romance and games over the last 10 years or whatever. I remember playing, you know, when I came back to video games around 2007, 2008, playing Mass Effect. And Mass Effect was, you know, it was the first time I'd played that kind of Bioware RPG. And then I, I believe then I went and played... I guess Dragon Age came out after Mass Effect. Is that mm -hmm. right? I think it came out in 2009. Yeah. So I played that. But then I, w but I had gone back and played Knights of the Old Republic and Jade Empire and those earlier games, which also had dating. But it was Mass Effect was Baldur's the first Gate time. Baldur's Gate 2, I think, was the first of the Bioware games that, to have Which it. I've never mm -hmm. really played. Um, mm. Maybe one day. But I'm definitely going to play Baldur's Gate 3. So playing Mass Effect, at the time, I, I remember being, I think that the first time I played through it, I didn't date anybody. Um, which in retrospect totally makes sense because I wind up in that situation a lot. As much as I, like you, Jason, have fun goofing around about like, oh, this character is totally the, the whatever, the most dateable character in the game. When I'm actually playing, it doesn't do anything for me. I don't feel like some vicarious thrill because there's this beautiful woman who's in love with my player character. And honestly, in most of these RPGs, I, I play as a female character, and there haven't even there haven't really been good queer options, especially not in yeah. like the first Mass not Effect. Not until so, somewhat recently, yeah. Right. So it was just pretty removed from me, which then winds up being the way that I engage. I think a little better with romance in games is when the character that I'm controlling. And like, you know, romancing characters with is a little more removed from me. And it feels a little more interesting when I'm like, well, who should this character wind up with? Rather than like, who do I think is the most, you know, marryable or whatever uh -huh. of all of these characters. Yeah. So it never it never did that much for me. And then I, re I have one memory of around this time of playing Uncharted 2. And there's a scene in Uncharted 2 early on between Chloe Fraser and Nathan Drake, where they're kind of canoodling in bed. Yep. Um, and just, it's like a pretty dynamite scene where there's a lot of chemistry between the two characters. And I remember being like, this is cool, like seeing two digital avatars. You know, at the time it was Naughty Dog's, you know, peak technology. It still looks fine now because it's mocap, it's Claudia Black. and mm -hmm. um, It looks pretty good. Uh, I recently name? watched all, of the, all the cutscenes yeah. for all of the Uncharted games, and uh, I can I can verify that scene's fun. So it's, and it's like a sexy, fun scene where mm -hmm. they're just kind of flirting. And I remember being like, this is pretty missing from most other <laughs> games I play. Like it was the <laughs> exception that proved the rule or whatever that, that most games yeah. cannot cannot match that. So I guess in that situation, it's almost just watching a movie about two characters. Like I don't really associate myself with Nathan Drake when I'm playing. And mm. that worked fine. I thought that was kind of fun. And the romance of that game is fun. But yeah, for RPGs, it really has never done that much for me. And now I'm kind of really being able to articulate that for the first time. Mm -hmm. I think to your point, Kirk, I think that it's more, it's always more interesting and appealing when it's uh, two characters who are just kind of like you're watching their chemistry and decision-making unfold as opposed to you making the decisions because usually in mm -hmm. games, the decisions fall so flat. Like it's, it's like, oh, this decision has a heart next to it. So that must be the romance one. Or like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. yes, I am, I am f pushing this character's buttons by following them, by giving them flat hours mm -hmm. or following mm -hmm. the scripted path that has been laid out for me as opposed to watching like a good story between two like d characters with depth right. to them mm -hmm. um which is a lot more i think appealing than yeah than i really agree i not to skip over the answer to my own question that i just yeah, posed but, that, but yeah go ahead. i 
a great example of what Jason described that I just want to mention first is in Marvel's Midnight Suns, the romance between Carol Danvers and Blade is one mm. of my favorite parts of mm -hmm. the game because it unfolds between two characters who you are not playing as and you know both of them and they're both in your party and Blade is too nervous to ask out Carol for most of the game, but they obviously have chemistry and all their interactions and... I loved it. And by the end mm -hmm. of the game, they're more or less together. But it's like a lot of it happens outside of your view. You get to have conversations with each of them and then be present for some of the conversations they have together. But at least in my interpretation, they have many that you don't see and that you kind of hear about secondhand. And it just I really enjoyed it in a way that I often don't where I feel like in Mass Effect, if you don't date certain characters, they end up with each other. But it's not a huge focus of the storytelling or like an intention of it. And it more just yeah, seems they like maybe got there in three. They yeah. To, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. yeah. But I, it, it doesn't feel as intentional almost because it's like, well, since the player character didn't choose either of these people, <laughs> they just right. had to end up together, I guess. Whereas right. in midnight they suns, it's like, no, these two characters the had a crush on each other and ended up together. And you are not playing a role in it because there is no romance option for the player character in that game. But to answer the question myself, I, for many years, thought I was really weird for not ever falling in love with a video game character as a player character and always being like, how am I supposed to choose a person? Like, am I supposed to choose the person I would be attracted to? And that, like, really stymied me in the early yeah. Mass Effect and Dragon Age era because I would play my Commander Shepard as a facsimile of myself, generally, like, what would I do in this situation? And I'd play my version of Hawk in a similar way. And then when it came time to choose my paramour, I'd be like, well, none of these people are really my type or how would I even <laughs> evaluate that? And it, it really yeah. messed with me. So I'd end up just kind of choosing someone at random and being like, I guess I like this person. I don't know. And then as time went on, I realized that that was not the way to have the most fun for me and that I'd rather play games even if there's a player character by inventing a different person who is not like me and playing as them and then mm -hmm. the romance option is based on me almost being like a TV director who's like what's the best story and that is way more fun across the board and then I can still end up with a romantic arc that could be pretty fun to watch play out but I don't feel like I need to be attracted to either party because... That just usually doesn't happen to me. Sorry to all video games, I guess. <laughs> no, yeah, I think there's something to that. I think that for for all, it sounds like we're all kind of describing a similar feeling, which for me, it's that the farther removed I am from the depiction of romance, the more interested in it I am. And that's, I don't think that we're, that's universal. I do think there are people who enjoy the sort of fantasy elements of games. I mean, there are dating sims that we don't really mm -hmm. play. And even like Eroge games where the whole point is that you're fantasizing about being with, you know, one of these beautiful people yeah. that you get to go on dates with and they're all just there waiting for you. And like, that's a cool fantasy. Like I, I get being into that. When it comes to storytelling, yeah, like I'm I'm more into it the more removed it is from me. So the most, you know, the, the version where it's like Persona comes pretty close where your character isn't even a character and every character in the game just or every, you know, in the case of Persona 5, every girl in the game can date you, even like teachers and completely inappropriate characters. And it never is. It's never the thing that I care about, really. It actually like feels weird sometimes depending on who you're dating. So <laughs> that's like on the one end. And then all the way at the other end, yeah, it's like a character that isn't even the playable character 
that you're just watching team up. Um, Captain Marvel and Blade is a good example. I always think about Aveline from Dragon yeah. Age 2, who is a really wonderful character in a very flawed game. But one of the things about that game that I think gives is, is what its defenders cite is, you know, one of the reasons that that game is good or a redeeming factor about it is this character, Aveline, who is a member of the city guard, this kind of tough lady who has a lot of walls up and doesn't let people in. And as you get to know her, you learn that she is carrying... I can't remember the particulars, but she's carrying on a romance with someone else in the guard and is worried about it. And then her, your whole friendship arc with her is about helping her get with this person that she's in love with. And mm-hmm. I don't think she's a romance option at all for Hawk. And so, you know, it's, it's really cool. It like winds, it's like a subversion or a twist on the Bioware arc where usually, you know, you romance them the whole game and then you sleep together right before the final mission. And that was kind of what they set up. But with Aveline, it was different. And I thought that remove was what made it interesting because suddenly, like, it didn't feel weird. It didn't feel like the whole world was just set up so that everyone would fall in love with me. And yeah. I was just choosing who to put the most love tokens into until they, like, give me sex, <laughs> which is the creepy thing about all the way every dating sim and every Bioware game like has been designed mm-hmm. whenever that's the, the outcome of a romance arc. Yeah, and it's really hard to get away from that. I think even games that have tried to iterate on that concept by having more surprising options or unexpected options be the one that causes the character to fall in love with you. Like mm-hmm. Midnight Suns doesn't have romance options, but we gave the example of magic liking it when you're kind of mean and that is something really fun about her character yeah Yeah, exactly I mean some of it is that but some of it is also giving more unexpected answers to a question can result in a character respecting you more rather than just sucking up to them endlessly like if you just always give the corny answer with Captain America it might work but with Wolverine he's going to be like what's your problem etc like that concept for a game works really well and um another thing i was thinking about ahead of this episode was just the way that character sexuality has been increasingly designed around like uh in cyberpunk 2077 there's a character who you can only romance she's a lesbian character and you can only romance them if you're playing as a female character and pretty soon after the game came out people created mods whereby you can get around that yeah and This is something where I I still don't even know how I personally feel about it because she's a video game character. So like in theory, I should be completely fine with this. But for some reason, it just really grosses me out. And I'm not going (laughs) to I'm not going to say anyone is like morally wrong for doing this. But just me personally, I was like, oh, that makes me feel really weird. Like installing Mm -hmm. a mod to change her sexuality so that she dates a guy. That's so weird. But it's like, well, why would that even matter and it's it's also just something that's repeatedly come up with like the latter day dragon age games where some characters have a very defined sexuality and they're only interested in hawk if hawk is either a man or a woman and there's that's just programmed into the game and it is what it is you can pick the same dialogue options it doesn't matter i just think it's fascinating that that's something that has come about as a design problem but it also doesn't feel entirely like a solved problem you know I will say it does fit the theme of cyberpunk. Like that would be an interesting cyberpunk yes. story to have like mods that change your sexuality. Yeah, to brainwash somebody. Or like hijack your own brain to, to change who you're attracted now to. Now that is a DLC, guys. Yeah, Ethics, cyberpunk. DLC. <laughs> um, terrifying I think, idea. Horror game DLC. I think something that you guys have gotten at um, that kind of that I can relate to or at least made me start thinking about what makes a lot of this unappealing to me is that like 
one of the things that I find really interesting about romance stories and love stories in any media is watching two people who just have their own kind of like quirks and strengths and weaknesses find a way to uh, kind of get along with each other and and, um, recognize each other's personality traits and uh, uh, just kind of learn to live with that or not learn to live with that and the kind of chemistry or lack of chemistry or explosions that result of that, whether it's like Leftovers is a good example, Justin Theroux and Carrie Coon, just Mm -hmm. their fiery back and forth relationship is one of the most fascinating things to watch on TV. And when you, the player, are making decisions, you're always going to be a cipher of some sort. Like you might have a voice actor attached to it, but if you're choosing between dialogue options every time you talk to someone, you just don't have a personality. You can't by nature. Even if you're consistently choosing like the 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 best hearted ones, you still don't have a personality or like any sort of brain chemistry that could interact with another character's brain chemistry. And yeah, I think that's why the Nathan Drake and um, Chloe thing or Nathan Drake and Elena in Uncharted 4, which has a really good that's a really good and in fact one of the best parts of Uncharted 4 is that section in their house where they're just like having a human normal relationship that would never work in a thousand years if you could choose dialogue options for Nathan Drake like it it only works because you can see these people and one of and and they have like interesting conflicts and problems because one of them is addicted to adventure and the other one is not pleased about that and that is really interesting and just like when you are going around being like well I am going to push the buttons here that that make this person appealing to me, then there's nothing to grab onto as a human who like, as people who have our own relationships and challenges there, like there's nothing appealing, at least to me. I mean, I know it's appealing. I know this stuff is appealing to some people and a lot of people get a lot out of the Bioware style relationships. So I don't mean to be shitting on that. It's just mm-hmm. for me, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there. it's funny that Elena is upset with Drake because he's a video game protagonist. Yeah. Basically. Uh-huh. She's like, you keep going on these crazy uh-huh. 15 to 17 hour adventures. <laughs> and I, I can't. Hanging just precariously wanna, off of down, ledges man. and then just barely hoisting your way back yeah. up onto them and, and not dying. <laughs> Stepping on things and then watching them collapse. But yeah, there I, I agree that they're... The fight that they have, especially in the middle of that game, really picks up the narrative intrigue for me. Like, I, I find that much more interesting than a lot of the story of that game. I would say, so I have two thoughts here that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold one right here. I'm going to place it on a little shelf. And okay. I'm going to, because you made me think of something, Jason, which is The Witcher 3, I think is a good example of a kind of a middle ground where you are playing as Geralt of Rivia. He is a very defined character. You have a number of relationships in that game. Some of them are romantic and some are not. All of them are very, you know, they're very centered around Geralt. When I play that game, I'm like, what would Geralt do? Mm -hmm. My version of Geralt is a little bit different than the version of Geralt that other people play. He maybe makes slightly different decisions. And those decisions might reflect a slightly different internal moral compass. But he is very much his own character. And that's, I think, a great strength of that game. Um, And I would actually say that now that I'm playing Cyberpunk 2077... Um, I think v. that actually the, V is a, is a more well-defined character than I realized mm-hmm. when I, I had first started it. And I think I play as female V and she's um, really a strong character. But anyways, not to get sidetracked. So in The Witcher 3, you're basically choosing between Yennefer and Triss. I mean, there are other options that you can choose and you can even choose Geralt. You can wind up with Geralt. And these reflect, these are, these result in you having different endings, ending up with different characters. What do you mean wind up with Geralt? Like wind up like alone? Like you can, 
Well, so there, there are different things you can do. So you, if you just <laughs> romance... version of Geralt? Mm-hmm. You just like fall in love with yourself? It's like an yes. X-Men plot line where there's like a clone of Geralt and you end uh-huh. up with him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, so there are a lot of different endings. Um, I, I guess I'll explain what they are. I mean, you can <laughs> have an ending where you're with Yennefer. Or you can not do any of that. You can just get with Triss, who is another one of Geralt's great loves. You know, I've never thought of as on the same level as Yennefer, but that's just me. And you can be with Triss. Or you can actually blow it. You can try to be with both of them, tell them both that you love them. And then later in the game, they get to talking because they are, of course, <laughs> friends slash frenemies. And Amazing. then there's a very funny scene where they lure Geralt into what he thinks is going to be a threesome. And then they leave him tied to the bed and they're like, fuck off, dude. And then you wind up <laughs> alone. So there's all these different possible endings. They all reflect different aspects of relationships that Geralt has. And I think they're all really good and really well written because I was invested as much in those as any part of the story, especially the relationship to Siri, because she's like their relationship is the center of the whole game. You're constantly making decisions with Siri, and because it's not a romantic relationship, it's a more familial one, you're kind of giving her advice, but she doesn't always listen to it. It more it's not like whether you're gonna tell her what to do and then she'll do it. It's more you're gonna tell her what like Geralt's gonna tell her what he thinks she should do. And then she's going to form her opinion of Geralt based on the advice that he gave her, which is, I think, just a more interesting and interpersonal dynamic rather than like a gameplay narrative branching dynamic. And I find that very interesting. So the little thought on the shelf that's related to this, because this is something The Witcher does. Jason, earlier you mentioned that um, sometimes you'll see like a heart next to the dialogue option Mm -hmm. or some sort of transparency. I think that the more games remove that transparency, the better for me. Um, I... In The Witcher 3, there is no, like, there's a heart next to this. You just have to kind of know. Just like in the Final Fantasy VII days, you just find out who wants to date you. Right, and the the Rubicon that you can cross with with Triss or Yennefer is basically saying, I love you at a crucial moment. And if you do that and you go and you're, like, really, you know, like, tell them, like, you you really care about them. Put yourself out there, yeah. Yeah, if you do that and you're not and you don't mean it and you're also kind of saying the same thing to the other woman, then they wind up they don't like that. But you can sleep with both of them. I mean, sex is a pretty open thing in the world of The Witcher. It's not a huge deal um, if you're if you're not like emotionally committing. But the game doesn't tell you that. It doesn't say this choice matters. There's no heart next to it. You just kind of pick it. So I think that that alone is a really important thing. It's a UI decision, but it winds up mattering a lot in the way that interpersonal relationships and romances play out in games. And um, so basically removing UI from interpersonal gameplay mechanics is a good thing and more games should do it. Mm-hmm. That was very long, sorry, but thanks for <laughs> sticking with me as I moved things around on my shelf. Yeah, and so I think, well, I think Witcher 3, Witcher 3 is kind of a rare game in a lot of ways, but what you've just described and what I obviously experienced playing through the game, this idea of like Geralt, who is a distinct character, but also has dialogue options and you can kind of choose which path he takes. That's very rare in a game. I don't I haven't seen that very often. And that I think distinction is why the romances work well in that game, because you can imagine Geralt as a person even outside of your choices in a way that you can't in a lot of other video games. Like, who is the Dragon Age Inquisitor? Some of that is the adaptation, right? That it's an adaptation of of a series of novels. Yeah, right? for sure. No, I mean he's a person. He's like a distinct. There's no character creator in in The Witcher right. Three. There's no like you're not building this personality, which I think makes the biggest right. difference there. You're coming in with books and books of knowledge of this character. 
Yeah, although I would actually say, and this is no coincidence, that Cyberpunk 2077 is a little bit similar in the sense mm -hmm. that V is written to be a fairly specific character. Yes, you can design them visually in a variety of ways, but there's a limited number of dialogue choices that you can make. They have some clear motivations throughout that you can't really change, and romance is a part of that game. But you can also choose to not have it and that isn't key to the story, which mm -hmm. I think is something about that game that I actually liked. I never did beat it, but I played it for a long enough time that I do know that that's the case. And I liked that. And it's apparently very Witcher-esque of CD Projekt Red to have a game yeah. operate in those terms. I've been really struck by the writing in that game just as I play it. it's I mean, it's not a surprise because The Witcher is well-written. But yeah, it's a well-written game. There's just a lot of good quests. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's really good. Can we talk about Fire Emblem a little Please. bit? Please. So we're all playing Fire Emblem Engage. We're going to talk about that more next week. One notable thing about that game is that it significantly reduces or removes the social elements that were so emphasized in Three Houses. And you wrote here, Maddie, actually, that there are there is a, yes. some superficial data, which I didn't even realize playing it. This So far, I mean, I'm not far in, but the characters are so superficial that I like just don't care at all. Yeah, well, Kirk, you're going to have to give one of them your ring, your promise uh, ring. So yeah. think carefully about who gets to the S rank because you're going to need to propose to one of these uh, cardboard cutouts. <laughs> so going back you're to Fire Emblem... You're going to have to engage. Yeah. So going back to Fire Emblem Awakening from 2013, yes. this was the first Fire Emblem game that I got into, I think... There are probably a lot of people who are kind of that way. Yeah, like it, I think it was oh, yeah. a big gateway for it a lot was. of people. Mm -hmm. And a big gateway, first, I think, yeah, for a lot of discussions of romance in games and the idea of multi-gender romances. I mean, this was a huge conversation in 2013. Yes. And it's a, a great game. And actually, Engage reminds me of it quite a bit, in, just in terms of the gameplay and the overall design, which is one reason that I'm liking Engage. Um, despite, you know, I, I liked some of the dating in Three Houses. But what I want to talk about is the, the mechanic of romance in specifically in, a, in Awakening, because I really thought it was interesting. And it also wound up bearing out some of the ways that I feel about romance. So in this game, it's a tactical RPG. You're moving characters around on a grid. And as you move them around, if you have one character attack someone while they're standing next to another character, you'll see these little hearts appear between them because they boost one another in combat. So it's a good idea to keep your units together. You get an attack bonus, a defense bonus, whatever. And then also their relationship improves. And then as you play, you get to watch these little cutscenes between those two characters, not your character, where they have a little conversation, whatever. They talk a little bit. They get to know one another. Maybe at first, you know, in the first ranks, they like misunderstand one another or don't like each other. And then they become friends over the course of the game. And then eventually in Awakening, they'll fall in love. And not every character can do this. And this was, yeah, I remember being a, a, a hot topic for discussion. Mm -hmm. But some of them will. And then because of the narrative framework of Awakening, if once they get together, they have a kid and there's a time portal in that game. So then their kid will appear as like an adult who will join your army. So you can be like kind of breeding an yep. army of soldiers by like playing matchmaker. Because their kid will also be a permutation of the, those two warriors yes. and their fighting styles, right? So it's like a Punnett Square situation where you can be like, all right, I need an archer, but like with the sensibilities of this right. axe guy. So I got to get these two together. <laughs> Wild stuff. It's just just eugenics. Yeah. Right. Just when you start talking reading. about it in terms of eugenics, it's always a kind of <laughs> frighteningly short road to eugenics. <laughs> that can be seen very creepy. I mean, hey, I've been breeding chocobos since 1996. Yeah, so. I mean, you played any Pokemon lately? Like a lot yeah, of right. games I mean, have these elements. Chocobos, 
those sentient human beings, really no difference. <laughs> Same, um, thing. Same thing. Same uh, thing. So Same that can be thing. seen as creepy. But it is, if you think of it as like you're playing matchmaker mm-hmm. and, um, you know, getting people together in that respect, before I even knew that I was going to get their progeny in my army, like, I just thought it was kind of fun. I mean, that's the part that's creepy, right? Like the matchmaker part is really fun. And it's the part of Midnight right. Suns that I enjoy so much. But it's not like then Carol and Blade have a kid who becomes a part of my army against Lilith's undead army. That would instantly make it strange. So you're saying matchmaking <laughs> plus child soldiers, not yeah. a great combo. Right, matchmaking Just when you have a direct vested interest in the offspring, like uh-huh. tomorrow Enlisting because of time travel. in your right, army. So matchmaking plus time travel equals problematic, I think is the equation mm-hmm. that we've come up with here. Uh-huh, but anyways, uh-huh. I think this is fun like because when I was playing that game, I found myself really enjoying some of these pairings I'd come up with. Um, I remember there's a lady who's kind of like a mole person. That's like a type of person. Like, right, she had like big hands and she kind of, she was sort of part animal. And then I paired her with the guy with a sword who's like really kind of quiet. He has like a katana. He's super badass. And the two of them were like super tough badasses together, but then they fell in love on the battlefield. And it was cool. I was like, oh, this is neat. I mean, it wasn't like the reason I was playing the game, but I enjoyed it. So I played through the whole game and really enjoyed, you know, everybody sort of, pairing off and having all these little relationships bloom because it was happening in the game like on the battlefield it wasn't like in a Bioware game where you just go back to base and do your romance chores and then go back out into the field it was actually like integrated into gameplay then I played long enough that Everyone was kind of paired off except for my main character, who's <laughs> this kind of not speaking cipher in that game. And oh, no. Your main character is going to have to go to prom with the principal. This kind of is, well, sort of. I wound up being marrying, without realizing that was what was going to happen, the girl who's like the little kid who's actually 300 years old and oh, is like a dragon. No. And that, that happened. And trope. I think I wrote about this. That happened. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I no. <laughs> like I will not do this so I like backed up to an old save and then just like was like I'm not gonna fight alongside you anymore because it's <laughs> gonna get weird and then wound up marrying I think I wound up marrying Anna the um my character wound up marrying Anna the the merchant who now turns up and engages a little kid so I'm like uh-huh, god damn it uh-huh, Fire uh-huh, Emblem full circle because like, she's in every circle. Fire Emblem game anyways so th- I just remember having that same feeling playing th- um, Awakening where it was like oh I'm kind of enjoying all these pairings but like I have no interest in who my protagonist is yeah. teamed up with. Like, this is the least interesting part of the game. So it's, again, I think evidence of that. I like the having a layer of remove narratively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, like, even compare that to a romance that is trying to build human relationships. Because, like, when the concept of the game is, like, these two are building romantic relationships by standing next to each other when they attack an enemy. It's, it's kind of, like, what do you do with that? Yeah. Right? Different, As opposed you can to, imagine it. I mean, you can see people, you can see them backing each other up, you know? But they are different, of Sure, course. yeah, like in a, in, a, in a Marvel movie, they're backing against yeah, each other yeah, and fighting yeah. off a giant circle yeah, of enemies. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that to me almost feels like more like, I don't know, I can wrap my head around that a little bit more than when mm-hmm. a game is saying, if you make all the right dialogue options, this person will fall in love with you. Like there's almost, it sometimes feels like there's a little bit of grossness to the way you can manipulate or the way you can like kind of just pick the right dialogue options and someone like, it feels like you're, uh, uh, I know this is not what the writers intended, but it sometimes feels like a pickup artist type thing where it's like, you well, just, it's just choose the right. It's in a yeah. game. I mean, there's a reason that the pickup artist Tome right. is called the game. I mean, right. this is absolutely yeah. Yeah, a mindset yeah, yeah. that exists in the real world. Yeah. yeah I mean, you push, it, pull the right triggers and bam, you got yourself a relationship. I think that is an inherent problem. And it's part of why the examples we're using that we like are the ones like Uncharted, where 
the romance isn't gamified at all. And like right. the will right. they won't say with narrative. Chloe is sort of like a side plot, a past romance that, that Nathan Drake has. And then his romance with Elena, you, you, the player aren't causing any of that to happen. Those are choices that Nathan Drake is making. And you're just along for the ride, trying to make sure he doesn't fall off any ledges and that he successfully murders 3,027 people. <laughs> and that's all you have to do, but he's the right. one making decisions in his own life. And, that is, I think, the only way that you can have romance feel real, at least to me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's. I think what we're circling around here, what we're kind of zeroing in on, is that the more gameplay mechanics are expressly introduced into romance, the less well it works, at least for the three of us. Because mm -hmm. if you're in a Geralt of Rivia situation and you're just having naturalistic conversations with people and judging their responses and saying things to them, you know, and like seeing how that goes and then getting different feedback from different characters, that can feel pretty cool. Um, but when you're, you know, in a Persona game or, or Fire Emblem, whatever, a game where it's like expressly mechanized and you know exactly how many inputs and outputs I need to get this gift. This is a thing in Persona. Well, I need to <laughs> look up on the internet what is the best gift to give to Kawakami's so I can get her to uh -huh. like like me the most. You have most. to min-max your calendar too. Like how right. do I spend and, time with people so as to make right. all of them the most powerful they possibly can be? Which imagine right. spending your entire life and friendships that way as a person. Some people oh, do. And That's what my Google Calendar looks like. It's like oh wow. <laughs> okay, so I'm learning that both here. of you do do this, and I shouldn't have said what I just said. No, but but I, I think some people do think of of relationships that way, and you know you could look up a sort of dialogue guide for The Witcher 3 that would tell you exactly what to say to maximize your chances of whatever. And you can get into a kind of content, like I want to see as much of the game as I possibly can. So like mm -hmm. I want to get every possible sex scene because otherwise I'm not getting my money's worth. Like there can be all these other weird <laughs> sort of well, layers to it. But I think in the end, when you're, if you're removing some of that gameplay stuff, it discourages people thinking about the game in those terms and encourages a more naturalistic kind of interaction with non-player characters. And I think that that stuff I can totally find plenty engrossing and interesting. Mm -hmm. And actually, just to mention it, because we haven't mentioned it, but it was something I really liked about Horizon Forbidden West, mm. that you just sort of watch these relationships evolve. None of them are romantic, but you get to talk to people a whole lot, and it has that kind of naturalistic feeling to it. Yeah, wasn't our read that uh, Aloy was asexual or at least aromantic? Yeah, I, I don't know if that would have been. It could have been a read. Yeah. I feel yeah, like which it's I thought was totally really plausible. Yeah, mm -hmm. whether accidental or not. I, I guess I'll also say, to just push back slightly, Kirk, I, I actually really enjoy playing a dating sim and seeing every single outcome. I don't tend to play dating sims and have crushes on any of the characters, but I do. Mm. There are some dating sims that are so well-written. I mean, I've talked about Chris, Christine Love's work many times on the mm -hmm. show, how much I love her dating sim-esque work and how well-written I think it is. But also, Had a Full Boyfriend is a comedy dating sim that I'm a huge fan of and that I highly recommend playing every single plotline in because, one, it's a comedy, and so it's worth seeing every single scene. And also, two, it's a really good illustration of how a dating sim works because it's a parody of classic dating sim tropes. So if you just want to kind of see like, oh, here's the mean boy and like, here's the popular boy, except all of them in How to Full Boyfriend are various kinds of birds. Um, and you're the only human girl <laughs> at a school that is yes, entirely populated by anthropomorphic, super intelligent birds because the entire world has experienced a post-apocalyptic event <laughs> and uh, no humans are left and you live in a cave in the middle of nowhere. 
it's an incredible video game, honestly, out of a boyfriend owns. Um, but that's a game where seeing every single outcome was the point, not to get my money's worth, but because it's just plain fun. And I think that is an experience mm-hmm. a lot of people have with that genre. Because it's part of the point. That's true. And I think uh, Lady Killer in a Bind is the one Christine yes. Logan that I've played. And it's really wonderfully written. And so it, good. That, that is true. And good writing goes a long way. I mean, if you're writing it well and you're a clever designer, um, Doki Doki Literature Club, a very different kind of game, but yeah. is another one Horror that uses dating sim. <laughs> dating sim tropes to spin a really horrifying story that is also really engrossing and kind of works in this way by, I mean, it's really kind of subverting and commenting on dating sims. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lady Killer in a Bind is a very well-written game. Right. And that game uses dating sim mechanics and it is explicit about its mechanics, but it still works because, you know, just because it's it's so fun and well-written. Mm-hmm. Something else worth noting here is that the three of us are all in our 30s or 40s. Well, mm, um, some of and, us. <laughs> and we're all in long-term um, relationships. And we're all in long-term relationships. And I think that like a dating sim boring. can ap- be appealing in different ways if you're younger, if you're socially awkward, if you haven't had a lot of experience dating, if you don't have a lot of romance, it can be mm-hmm. more of a fantasy experience or if you're single and you like you know laughing off how annoying it is to date i certainly remember Mm -hmm. that period of time in my life yeah so our perspective is a little different i think with with a topic like this it's worth underlining that we are very much like coming from our own perspective and that there are lots of different ways to feel about this kind of thing exactly Mm -hmm. yep but no matter who you are you should play how to full boyfriend because it's hilarious it does rule that game is it's really quite incredible uh on that note uh let's take a little break and then come back with one more thing dear reading glasses it's been years since i've been able to read i missed it so much but i had no idea where to start i felt so overwhelmed but thanks to your show now i'm back to enjoying books again and feeling like a reader love sarah Yeah, that's an email we actually answered. Okay, maybe not that email specifically, but one just like it, because most of our listeners are named Sarah. (laughs) We're Reading Glasses, and we're here to solve all your reader problems. We give advice, help you find books you love, and discuss reading without making you feel pressured. No matter what you read or how you read it, we'll help you do it better. Reading Glasses, every week on Maximum Fun. Which animal has the most bones? Why isn't Pluto a planet? Why are bees electrically charged? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting. My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive blah, 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 blah. Mm, Did you? <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. And we are back for one more thing. I will go first. I read a book called Then We Came to the End. It's by Joshua Ferris. Uh, This is a book written in second person plural. Is that how you describe we? We We, did this. We did that. Never read a book like this before. I guess that's first person plural. plural. Second person would be you. Yeah. So this is a book about some copywriters in an ad agency in the late 90s who all get laid off. (laughs) And the we in the book is all the copywriters, all the ad agency staffers. And it describes the mundanities of office life and weird, bad things that happen to each one of them. 
I don't even know how to describe this book. Jason, you've also read this. This is, it sounds really boring as I'm describing it. And at first, for like the first couple hours, because I listened to it on audiobook and it's only six hours long. It's quite short. Hmm. I was like, did I make a mistake? Is this the most boring book I've ever read? <laughs> I can't listen to people talk about getting a birthday cake for the office celebration. I don't know what I'm doing here. And then at a certain point, I kind of got to know each of the characters because although we is described, it'll be like, oh, we heard Karen say such and such. And then we heard Joe say such and such. And like Joe did X and Y. And eventually <sighs> you get to know the cast of characters through that. And it's an ensemble cast. And then also terrible things happen to certain of them mm -hmm. and then i don't i don't want to give too much away because it's so short but i don't know it's really haunting and incredible and as somebody huh. who's worked in a creative job and has experienced layoffs in my life i found it really illuminating to read and also I was astounded that a book written in the late 90s felt like it could have been written yesterday like i read it without knowing that it had been written 25 years ago and thought it was a new book. I didn't think it was old, but it's just timeless. I think the thing you didn't, I think the thing you didn't mention uh, is that it's essentially a parody of office culture. It's like office space. The movie is almost. The yeah. Comparison. Yeah. It's, it's, if you like the darkness of office space, but without the characters ever deciding to rip off the office, cause that doesn't happen in this book. It's more <laughs> just sticking with the weird, surreal mundanities of office life. And then, or like the, the others, yeah, 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 but not quite like the office at all. I don't know. I really recommend it. It's weird. It's good. I really liked the audiobook. I like reading a short book. Just as an aside, it's nice to have something that's six hours long and really contained. Uh, I like the reader. So yeah, then we came to the end by Joshua Ferris. I recommend it if you're feeling weird about work. And when am I not? You know? <laughs> Did yeah. you see the person in December who? robbed their company in the same method used in office space there's like wow a seattle software engineer That's hilarious robbed, incredible it looks like three hundred thousand dollars and like yeah with the same kind of same kind of method the skimming method uh, i should rewatch office space i feel like that would be the best way to celebrate completing reading then we came to the end mm -hmm. um kirk what's your one more thing my one more thing is a version of a tabletop game that I've talked about on the show before. So Star Wars Imperial Assault is a tabletop game that I play with my group. And it's been a little while since I've talked about it because it's been a little while since um, we've played it. We were playing Gloomhaven for a long time. We beat Gloomhaven or we like finished the last, you never really beat Gloomhaven, but we finished it. It's a so state of we mind. decided to, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it really, Gloomhaven is a state of mind. Well, now Frosthaven is out, which is yeah. The sequel and looks sick, but it's going to be you know a million years long. Um, one day we'll play that. But uh, we went back to Imperial Assault and we've been playing it in Tabletop Simulator, which is the PC game that, or you can play on Mac that just creates a tabletop and then you can get mods that have different games in them. A lot of game makers don't mind if someone makes a mod out of their tabletop game and just let them be on Tabletop Simulator. In our case, we play Gloomhaven that way. We own Gloomhaven, so we kind of see that as fair game. We own Imperial Assault and we've been playing that with a really great mod that has really you know automated a lot of stuff. It's a very complicated game so it makes setup and sort of combat dice rolls are all really you know really slick and well done there's a whole ui but the thing i want to talk about with it is the version of the game we're playing which is called legends of the alliance and it involves an app or a game like a computer component that 
is kind of like works as like a game master and directs your game. So this is basically a squad-based tactics game. So it is actually a lot like Gloomhaven. Four players are, you know, like a Jedi and a sniper and a Wookiee with a big sword and a demolitions expert. And maybe those are there's a bunch of characters you play as. And then you take turns and you're just fighting against Imperial, different arrays of Imperial enemies are like wampas and you know creatures from from around the world of Star Wars and then it's just combat so it's like line of sight and I'm going to go here and okay I'll double up it's a lot of strategy it's a very crunchy really fun game what legends of the alliance adds is first of all one player doesn't have to play as the empire which is the last time that we played it my friend Sean was the empire so every game he was against four of us and oh. i think it was just i mean it was fun but i'm sure it was kind of exhausting for him too by the end just cuz you have to do a lot you have to keep track of a lot and you're just the opponent every night so it's and you're, you know, playing you're kind of pissing people off kind of bad like guy. being the dungeon master in a way it is but you don't get you don't have as many opportunities to do fun collaborative things with your players you're just yeah. hammering them so it's like reinforcements. I'm just going to kill you guys. Like when we would lose oh, no. him, we would never get mad, but it would just be kind of a, you know, it'd be like, damn, you beat us. And then that's kind of what we did that night. Anyways, <laughs> so now he gets to play on our side. We're all together. And the, the app, which we're kind of running into the Zoom call, the app um, dictates what we're going to do, which is cool. But one cool thing about how this works is that it allows a new kind of gameplay in this world, because they've designed the campaigns with the app in mind, suddenly there are, there are just new things happening. We just started playing, but we just did our first mission. Normally in this game, you arrive, it's like there's a little bit of flavor text, you unload, and then there's like, oh, a bunch of bad guys run in, and then you're just in a fight. And then you fight until you beat the last guy, and then it's over. That was how our whole first campaign was. This time in our first mission, we just land, and we're like on a on a space station and there's a cantina and we lay out tokens that are like non-violent NPCs and we can just, and it's like, go up and talk to them. So on our turn, we're like, okay, there's no enemies anywhere. And we just go up and like one guy is playing cards. And so then the app can just give us like options. And it's like, ask him where the, you know, soldiers you're looking for are or play cards with him. And so we like, play cards with him and it's like make us make an insight roll and that's a stat you have Romance that used to just him be, by hey. clicking the option with the they heart. totally could and it basically the stats that used to exist which you can do a dice roll for your strength or your insight it used to all be combat stuff you know like can you hack this terminal to open this door now suddenly it's like can you beat this guy at cards so there was a bunch of stuff like that and we did this whole sequence that was kind of role playing like non-violent stuff before the combat broke out. And it's entirely because of the way that this app has been designed to integrate with the game, which I didn't know and wasn't expecting. And it was just delightful and added a whole new, really cool layer to the game. So I just wanted to say we've been playing it and it's cool um, to anyone out there with a tabletop group thinking about something like this. It's uh, it's called Legends of the Alliance. It's on Steam. I think it's also on the App Store. Like you can play it with an iPad. And uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. Cool. All right, yeah. Jason. What you been up to? My one more thing is a video game called Forspoken. Yeah. Uh, which Heard of is it? just fantastic name for a video game. This is a new game by Square Enix. It is uh it has been kind of widely criticized. Uh got some some middling reviews. Um a lot of people trashing uh the the story and the writing, among other things. And I will say I'm enjoying it, or I have enjoyed it more than reviews suggest although there are a couple issues so let me explain what this game is basically the premise of this game is you play as this woman who's kind of like uh um uh, uh like a 
I don't know if street urchin is the right word, but she's definitely like in trouble on the streets of New York City. The first thing that you see is like her in a courtroom um, having been arrested for a crime. Um, she She's in trouble. She has a tough life and she's an orphan uh, in New York. Her name is Frey Holland and her last name is Holland because she was found as a baby near the Holland Tunnel, which is, I guess, pretty much all you need to know about the writing and the storytelling of this game. <laughs> um, the dialogue is, is uneven. I will say that. There have been a lot of memes floating around about the dialogue in this game and is definitely uneven um not in a sense a lot of people have been criticizing the whedon like nature of it the mcu nature of it where there's a lot of quips yeah and there is some of that a lot of it not taking itself too seriously and that sort of thing like her being like whoa i can i can do magic with my mind now that stuff doesn't bother me quite as much as just like a lot of the kind of unevenness of like throwing curses every line and like that sort of thing that that just kind of on a moment to moment it isn't there's some moments that are good and some moments that are not so good um but anyway so she winds up uh finding this like bracer thing that talks and transports her to another world and she winds up stuck in this new fantasy world and wants to find her way back home um never really explain why she wants to find her way back home because home sucks for her but that's the premise um and so in this fantasy world, she can do magic and she can do parkour and stuff. And there's where the game actually gets fun because the parkour and the fighting in this game is pretty enjoyable. It's very satisfying to be zipping around this world. Um, it's like third person dying light in a way, but even cooler because you can have magical abilities for your parkour. The big downside of this is that the abilities are split into these trees and you only unlock a tree by defeating one of the game's big bads. There are these four women called Tantas Mm. who are the big bads of the world and to uh, unlock a new tree, you have to defeat one of those Tantas and absorb her powers. So like if once you beat the first Tanta, you absorb the fire tree and suddenly in addition to just like your first set of abilities, which is like earth-based, you throw rocks and stuff like that, plants and stuff. Now you can also swing a fire sword and use like a grappling hook to swing on ledges and stuff like that. The problem is that it takes forever for you to unlock all this stuff because the, the, the whole core of the game is like beat these four bosses and then the game is over, right? So you're not really unlocking the full potential of all your abilities until very, very late. Um, the first Santa, I mean, you might be six, seven hours into the game before you unlock that first tree, mm. and it's not a long game. It's like a 20-hour game. So uh, um, if you're just doing the main story, I mean, there's a lot of open-world filler, too. Um, but it is fun, and, like, I've been enjoying just, like, going on a, like, on these parkour, uh, like, just zipping around the world and flying and leaping and jumping and stuff. It, it is fun to play. Um, the bosses are fun. The, the combat is fun. There's some cool, like, little dungeons you can do. Um, sort of like Bloodborne's Chalice Dungeons, I would say. These little, not mm. randomized, but, like, little little mini dungeons. Um, and then it's just kind of like, I don't know, it feels like as generic an open world game as you could get. Um, but it's just fun. So like, you know, it's, it's not a game. I think this whole six out of 10, seven out of 10, that's probably a good way to put it. Not a game that's going to be considered for game of the year in December. But like, if it's, if you're looking for something to do, it's January. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year's Dying Light too. To a game yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. last year, despite not super mm. caring about the story, but the parkour in that game exactly. was so freaking fun. I so. think it's one of those, it's one of those, most people will probably never finish it. But like, if you see it on sale and you're like, 
like, yeah, why not? I would certainly, if you came to me and said, hey, Jason, should I spend like 70 bucks plus tax on this on this new first spoken game? I would probably not recommend that. But like if when it's discounted later this year to like 10 bucks and you're like, you know, that game uh, could be kind of fun to play <laughs> I remember for a Jason while. saying it was OK. Yeah, it's not going to like <laughs> pretty it's not going to. It's not yeah. going to change your life or like have some sort of emotional resonance with you, but, but it's fun to play. And sometimes that's what you need. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't hate nice. it near as much as a lot of people do. Just, yeah, get ready for some uneven dialogue, some questionable story moments. One other thing I'll say that really stood out to me was at the beginning of the game, um, you before you wind up in this fantasy world, you're in your little apartment and you're like, man, I can finally... So so basically before the game starts, your character Frey, she has like stolen a bunch of money and she has this plan where she's like, I'm going to get this money. I'm going to get out of town, bring my cat with me and we're going we're gonna to get out of here. We're going to start a new life. And uh, you are in your apartment, you have your cat, you have your bag full of money, and you're like, all right, I'm going to go to sleep. Then you wake up in the middle of the night and your apartment's on fire. Like the thugs that were chasing you earlier have set your apartment on fire. Um, And you were standing in the same room as your bag of money, but the the game won't let you pick it up. Like you try to pick it up and it'll be like, no, no, can't do that. Got to find my cat first because you have to find your cat in the fire. It's never explained why she can't just pick up the money with one hand and look for the cat with yeah, the other. What? But no, <laughs> you can't pick up the money. And then you go to your living room, and of course the door like is set in flames behind you, and mm-hmm. the money all burns down. Of course it does. And then does. you find your cat, but the money is gone. But like it's so frustrating because you could just pick up your money and move on, but the game won't let you. It's one of those things that just sets an <laughs> sets yeah. an awkward tone. For four spoken, it's funny as it as it continues. Why not just have the money already on fire when you wake up? It's so it's it's, it's so it easy. I'm a genius. Yeah, that's that's you should be a narrative designer. No, oh it, boy, it felt I'm like sorry one for even things. saying that. Who cares well, what my suggestion like, is? <laughs> I don't know. From from the the bits and pieces that I've learned about game development over the years, it seems like one of those things where like one person made this thing and then another person yep. was like, no, actually the story says this, and then another person was like, no, we have to change all that because. <laughs> everything's coming in at the last minute and it's just like 40 different people not talking to each other and just leads to a disaster at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Anyway, Forspoken, it's a game. It's a video game. Uh, I doubt you two will, will play it and that's totally fine. Probably not. There's a whole lot of other games and plus I got to decide who I'm going to marry and Fire Emblem Engage. It's keeping me up at night. Uh, yes, yes. That's so. a very pressing decision. <laughs> so we'll get to that and so much more next week uh until then see you both yeah see you next week see you guys next week bye triple click is produced by jason schreier maddie myers and me kirk hamilton i edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music our show art is by tom dj some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration you can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. 
Audience supported. Okay. One second. Sorry, one Jason second. Jason isn't ready. No, no, no. One, sorry, one second. One second. Jason's busy. He's always busy. He's a busy man. I don't know if you know this about Jason, but he's a busy man. He's <laughs> got a lot going on. Secret babies. A lot of balls in the air. Yeah, his secret triplets. Jason has a secret baby just out of frame. Like, it looks like he's typing right now, but there's actually a baby mm-hmm. that he's soothing right now. He's, like, right putting now. a bottle in a baby's mouth. Like, <laughs> quickly, quickly. Readjusting he's tickling all the a baby. Babies. It's like it's not, it looks like keyboard typing, but it's really tickles. Whenever I type my on my keyboard, I go goochie goochie goo. Okay, <laughs> the babies are ready. You do that with Appa? Uh, I do. You type. I go goochie goo goochie goochie goo. All right, shall All right, we? Cool. Yeah. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Trier, and I'm Kirk Hamilton. And-